This is the Empowered Educational Conversations with Elena Christina podcast. We are two educators who have worked in over seven different school districts and want to see change. We are here for our school leaders who have the desire to implement radical changes to fight the destructive nature of racism and injustice. This is a safe space for passionate school leaders and aspiring school leaders to listen in as we voice our concerns, laugh at our mistakes, and strategize ways to overcome adversity as educators, all while keeping it real. Join us as we share our experience along with other important voices in the field. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Aline and Christina, where we seek to build community and support one another in this work. While you're there, share this with a friend and colleague and rate and review this podcast so we could get this to even more school leaders who want to do this work. All right, let's get to this episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Educational Conversations podcast with Alina and Christina, episode 76. I'm Aline, co-host of this podcast. I've been in education for 18 years as a former school counselor and high school assistant principal. I'm currently a district counselor at a K-12 school district and a school leader coach helping educators revolutionize the K-12 school system. And I'm Christina, the other co-host of this podcast. This is my 19th year in education. I was a former high school English teacher and K-12 site administrator. I'm currently a teacher coach at a K-12 school district and a K-12 co-school leader coach with my homie and business partner, Aline, right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Hey, y'all. So before we get into our episode, let's do our check-in. Christina, how are you doing? Uh, Tired. Um, I had the stomach flu all last week. And so... um, Usually when I'm sick, I could still at least function at home and work remotely, but that so did not happen last week. Um, I mean, I I don't want to be all TMI, but (laughs) if I wasn't in bed, I was on top of the toilet or I was cleaning the toilet. So um, now I'm back at work and today's a Monday and it was just me (laughs) catching up and rescheduling and trying to prepare for meetings and trying to combine meetings, yada, 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 yada. So that's where I'm at. What about you? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I did not have the stomach flu, but I'm, I was, I'm definitely tired. Um, did a, whole day of a PD today and I'm still kind of processing it and in my feelings about it um and I am currently drinking this the viral sleepy girl or sleepy time um cocktail which is not alcohol <laughs> but the tart cherry juice the magnesium powder and the prebiotic or prebiotic soda um, so we'll see how it works. Supposedly it's supposed to like calm your nerves and like relax you because I feel like today I need it, especially to be able to like go to sleep and not toss and turn with like all the thoughts and the lists and things like that. So did you buy that at an apothecary store? No, I made it. 
Oh, you made it yourself. Oh, yeah, okay. like you put, I put the different parts together. Like, uh -huh. I, you know, I have the different ingredients and I combined it. It actually tastes really good. So I'm like, wow, I could drink one of these every night. Um, but we'll see how it works. So next time <laughs> I'll have to check it out. Um, well, today we have an interesting episode, in my opinion. Um, and I think timely for a lot of our school leaders. But in our last episode, we had a, an amazing guest, um, Zayda Garcia from Healing Aguas um, and Healing Aguas Wellness. And she had a lot to talk about, you know, counseling services and making them accessible to all students. So if you haven't already listened to that, go check it out. Um, but for, day, for now, let's um, jump into our episode. Okay. So I'll I'll um I'll set us up for our topic. And, yes, please. And I'll share what inspired today's um podcast episode. So basically two weeks ago, I participated in my first black and brown affinity support group in the current K-12 school district that I work at um as a district coach. Um so it was at it was hosted at one of the high school campuses and it was geared towards K-12 school teachers, um specifically uh Latino, Latinx uh, school teachers, but it was all but they did say that all black and brown educators are welcome. So the participants also included uh district support providers, teacher coaches and even like a couple of school administrators. So let's see, it's been two weeks ago. Let's see if I remember, but um, so I, I just remember just stepping into the room. I, I wasn't really sure like what to expect because I, as I said, I've never participated in an affinity group before. Mm. Uh, but then I don't know, the moment I stepped in, I was already feeling the vibe. Um, I only knew one person and that was, um, um, I guess you could say he was the co-facilitator because uh, we work in the same uh, department. Um, mm -hmm. So a district coach. But anyways, I just felt really relaxed and comfortable to where I could let my hair down, my short hair down. <laughs> um, and I guess like just to elaborate on that, like I just felt comfortable being me yourself yeah yeah like I felt like for a while I've been fine with like the way that I come through and the way that I dress and talk but I don't know I can't really explain it like I just felt comfortable mm -hmm. period mm -hmm. uh, so the focus for that um for that evening that I attended was specifically uh, discussing how colonialism impacted our, meaning our Black and Brown K-12 educational experience. And, um, you know, the, the age range, um, there was definitely an age range. I mean, we had some Gen Z teachers, you know, in like their early 20s. And then we also had some like veteran educators that were, that are like in their 60s. So it was really cool to hear uh, different perspectives, uh, different generations, as well as different ethnicities. Um, 
And, but of course, you know, we, we got into our small groups to, to share our experiences because there's just no way we could hear everyone um, mm-hmm. in the room. So it, we were able to build community within our small groups. So there was one question that really, that really took all of us like down a rabbit hole. Um, but it was a good, it, it was a good question. And even though we were off task a little bit, it was just really informative and eye-opening. Basically, the facilitator asked us like how, to what degree or how explicit was race and culture discussed in your household? Mm. Um, Yes, you could talk about your school experience, but then, you know, our first educational experience is always at home. So he was like, so what, what did that look like? Um, and like within my small group, the answers varied where it's, it was like, well, we were allowed to speak our native language. Our parents allowed us to speak our native language at home, or actually they didn't want us to learn our native language. And this is like from various groups. This is like uh, Mexican, Chinese, uh, Filipino. And they're just like, yeah, like it was, we were divided, like, oh, for sure. Our parents were teaching us or like, no, our parents didn't want to teach us. Uh, we talked about, um, our, how we identify on the census bureau, um, mm-hmm. which is just so crazy. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, I, I actually was rummaging through my, grandma's um paperwork because I'm just really trying to like yeah um I'm just trying to organize her stuff since she passed away two, uh, two years ago um there was this one um document because my grandfather was in the military where she actually um they typed it in for her that my grandmother was white I was like, dude, my grandma's hella not white. She's mm-hmm. light skinned, but she's not white. Okay. So yeah, mm-hmm. we were talking about that too um, mm-hmm. in class. But there within our six group, um, six person group, we all had one thing in common was that um our family didn't explicitly talk about race or even use the word race. Mm. We just talked about it like indirectly if you wanted to call it that like in terms of like we learned about our culture or all our race through food through music through dance through family gatherings through religious holidays um and so from there you know I'm not going to share their experiences because you know yeah confidentiality but what I shared with them was that um you know, I shared how um, through my dad, I am a first generation Filipino American, but on my mom's side, I'm actually second generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, 1.5, 1.5. 1. 1. And um, <laughs> my dad, my mom actually could understand like three Filipino dialects. Hmm like fluently mm-hmm. um that's how she'd be getting all the gossip because people <laughs> think she don't know but she know <laughs> like she's beyond the whole conversation 
Ellie. Okay. She she know she know knows. Mm-hmm. But she, mm-hmm. she sounds exactly like me. Whereas my dad, he's the one that speaks um Tagalog fluently. Um, but he made it clear he didn't he didn't teach it to us. And that is like one regret that he has. And he only brought up that regret when I had a baby. Because mm. he was like, oh, the baby's going to know Tagalog. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Like, <laughs> why Why didn't I? I mean, I, I understand it like conversational. And I, I could speak a little bit here and there. But by all means, I'm not, uh, I will not label myself bilingual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was just like, wait a second. Like, why? Like, like what where's this change of heart and he was just like well because I didn't know better like I was an immigrant I was trying to fit in um yeah I already had my high school diploma but I was in um what do you call that at Laney or Merritt um he's at a community college and he was like you know it was a struggle and I didn't want you or your brother to struggle so I, I decided that I just wanted to speak English to you guys not only that, he even gave us like an American version of our name. So it was like, um, usually my name, if I had a traditional Filipino name, it would be Christina Navarro Macalino. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's middle, my mom's <laughs> last name will be my middle name, but he gave me and my brother like regular names. So, but the thing is, the funny thing is it's like, my middle name is a very very stereotypical name for Filipinas um so it's Christina Marie Macalino and my brother is Mark Daniel Macalino or Macalino but then when I when my dad found out that I was having a son he was like oh his name his middle name is going to be my last name he needs a Filipino name I'm just like what in the world I was like (laughs) (laughs) where is this coming from and he's like once again he was like I just didn't know better but Mm -hmm. he needs to embrace that he's Filipino and then the last thing that I shared with them and they were all laughing but they all were able to relate yeah was that I I showed them a picture of my son and I was like the first thing that my dad said when he saw the baby was oh my gosh my my uh my brown filipino boy and he was like look at that filipino nose and i'm just like oh my gosh can i just tell and i told them i said the funny thing is is that growing up um my aunts and uncles would always uh, and even my parents specifically my dad would make fun of my filipino nose because it just lacks a bridge it's flat and wide. Um, I was told not to really go outside as much because I get tan easily. And they say that a lot to like Filipino women. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, my dad was like in break. He was so proud that our baby was tan and that he had a strawberry Filipino nose. And they were just like the entire time, everyone in my little group were like, girl, like, yeah same they're like well we're not filipino but (laughs) we get the nose thing and we get the skin thing Mm -hmm. they're like absolutely and it's like yeah so it was just it was just cool like yeah 
growing up, I mean, growing up, being able to talk to different ethnicities, specifically other ethnicities that have a history of being oppressed and colonized. Mm -hmm. Um, because we were just able to relate, period, yeah. mm -hmm. without having to like explain exactly anything. I mean, we're just sharing our experience rather than explaining. There you go. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, and I wish I could go to part two, which is tomorrow. But my son got diarrhea. <laughs> I mean, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> You're gonna be one of those mothers who like puts their kids' business out there <laughs> <laughs> to the world. <laughs> well, sorry that you're gonna have to miss part two of the affinity space. Um, I think they're very they're valuable, um, mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily like they're. I mean, I have experience with um, Black and Brown affinity meet like spaces but not like coordinated in the sense that oftentimes in districts that I worked with, like we would naturally find each other and like be the group that like, you know, kind of works through whatever activity that we're on. The last district that I work with, like that I worked for, they, um, the equity work that we did, the um, presenters would break up the groups into affinity groups. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, if we were sharing experiences in connection to race, uh, microaggressions, implicit bias, equity, that we would be in that space with other people of color um, so that we felt safe enough to share experiences and to like reflect and process the information presented to us. So I appreciated that. Um, but I will share this of like one of the fails that I still like um that I still think about and then I'm like constantly like okay what would I do next time and how am I going to fix this and then what opportunities will I have to bring up this situation that happened very recently where I tried to hold an affinity space for staff of color um following a keynote on equity for the entire district and I had to self-identified as white um and you know uh staff members for try to join or join the group and had it derail a lot of you know what was planned and so just also thinking about like what how nice that is that you all had that and that it was like you know understood and it was like an invitation for those who identified as, you know, black, brown, or as a person of color or a press group, or those that have experienced colonization. Um, and just how, you know, next time I'd be a little bit more explicit or um, feel, or like ask the, for the support to have that conversation and, and have the people leave the space. Um, but I do, I do value them and I do find them to be important in this work, especially in education. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, when my last admin position, um, I mean, I, I helped organize, I helped, um, the count, I supported the counselors, um, they wanted to, um, 
host a, a affinity groups with students. Jeez, mm -hmm. um, this was like four years ago, so I, I can't even really remember. Okay, there, there was one affinity group with, um, I want to say Yemen, Yemen students. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a Middle Eastern group. There was something that was happening yeah. um, during that time four years ago. Do you remember, Aline? I remember you talking about this and I, I, I sh we should know what happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah, shamefully, I forgot. Um, and so the counselors, they did an awesome job. They stayed with the students, you know, for um, this Arab American group and they made posters for their families that still live, that was being affected by, um, by war. Um, we got them just outside support agencies because some of them, their parents, it was their actual parents who were still there. Um, then see, this is going to bug me that I don't remember. So there's that piece. And then there's another, um, affinity group it was just for african-american females I, I just seventh grade i bring this up because there was this one white teacher who wanted she came to me the first time asking if she could sit in with the counselors um during that arab American um, affinity group mm -hmm. and because um, she was like I already asked them and they said no and I was like okay <laughs> like um yeah I was like well for one it's for students and two it's for it's an affinity group for Arab American uh, students specifically it was like uh, i want to say yemen at the see this is gonna bother me so she was she already had her feelings hurt about that she's like okay fine da, 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 da. um and then she was trying to like say like well one of the counselors is not even both of the counselors who are people of color but they were not arab so she wanted to bring that up and i was like come on now i was just like I'm not even going to be there. And I, I love inserting myself in stuff like this, but I was like, no, I want to respect it. They're in a safe space with the counselors. Mm -hmm. Two weeks later, it was time for the African-American seventh grade group, affinity group. She came to my office. She was pissed off once again, because she's like the counselors and, and the uh, wellness therapist I tried to go in and they said no and I'm just like why do you feel like you need to be a part of this group and like it was like she you know she said that I was being exclusive and um she brought up some other stuff. I don't want to give in, but she just did one of those reasons where you're just like, oh my God, like, don't say that because that's like so embarrassing. And well, I, and so it's like, why is that? Like, why do they feel that this teacher, this white teacher feel that she needs to be a part of this group? Yeah. 
Well, I want to I want to shift gears to like the topic of the of this podcast because it makes that connection. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of this. Um because I want to hear kind of like how when you all started talking about ethnic studies and how like <laughs> we're in California. Um so Christina will speak more to like what that, you know, the relevance of that, but just like those examples around like affinity groups and carving out space and like centering um, the stories and the history and the experiences of people of color or people, you know, that that families come from countries outside of the United States or even, sorry, people who are originally from these lands. Like, how are we going to engage in conversations around courses that are supposed to be designed around that? So you want to shift gears? Yeah. So yes, of course, we started talking about ethnic studies because a, um, a number of the teachers that were there, they actually teach ethnic studies. Mm. So of course, the facilitator even tied that in as well. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was like, I'm there. I'm sure that you guys are um, like, you see this connection with eth ethnic studies and looking at the core curriculum. Um, before you jump in to a topic, um, a thematic topic, you have to build community, right? Yeah. That's mm -hmm. usually one of the very first things you do. Like this is like a first marking period thing or like the very first thing, the unit, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. So to build community. So we, we talked about it. We just started talking about like, oh, well, how's it going? So just real quick, just to like lay out more um, information before I start rambling off because we we were just all over the place. There was just so much time, like an hour and a half goes by so fast. So we were all like, and yeah, we can't make this podcast an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just a friendly reminder, because we talked about ethnic studies before in another podcast, in a previous podcast episode, but just a friendly reminder that under the new law that passed in 2021, high schools must begin offering ethnic studies courses in the 25-26 school year, and students in the class of 2030 will be the first ones um, subject to that graduation requirement. So... Basically, the facilitator of this Black and Brown Affinity meeting commented that even though it is a it is a great start for secondary schools to require at least one year of ethnic studies course for graduation requirement, and from what I have observed in various school districts, it seems like that ethnic that one year of ethnic studies class tends to be housed in ninth grade. That's um, a semester, dude. Not even a year. A sub right, right, right. <laughs> There is no way everything in every race can be covered um, within within a year. So just mm -hmm. to let you know, like districts like OUS at Oakland Unified, it's mm -hmm. it's a year long course. Yeah. Okay. Um, thus, uh, there is room for school districts as well as individual school sites to create an ethnic studies scope and sequence that reflects their student population. So, of course. That took us down a rabbit hole and we talked about units of study because we're just like, hey, like if this is mm -hmm. only a year long course, like mm -hmm. how do you guys decide what units you're going to teach? Um, 
So we talked about, you know, well, they shared about like what they liked about ethnic studies, um, what they felt like was missing and mm -hmm. what they could realistically teach in a year. So it was just me like being a sponge and just being nosy. Um, yeah, just because I personally, I mean, when I was teaching, we didn't have an ethnic studies class. Um, I think that was just starting like when I became an administrator. Okay. So of course I went home <laughs> and I went for, I went down my own rabbit hole and, um, and basically I was just researching stuff and I was like, you know what? Uh, I downloaded the 696 page <laughs> PDF ethnic studies model curriculum document <laughs> that's found in the California Department of Ed. And I combed through it. Um, and I was looking for two units or topics that are at the top of my mind at, at this very moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, so, well, mainly three things, just being a former administrator, I, I looked at the chapter that I felt like I needed to know as a, an administrator. So what does it look like? What are the options of implementing an ethnic studies course at your school? And so there's as many ways that you could do it. Like they, they offer like um, the thematic approach. So it's like, here are um, major themes and here are some um, units of study that will go along with this theme. Mm -hmm. Then of course, you could also offer standalone courses such as African-American studies, uh, uh, Latinx uh, studies, Asian-American studies. Native or just American straight up studies. ethnic studies. Or you could just do straight up ethnic studies where you just get like mm -hmm. a whole buffet of units, mm -hmm. right? And then um, there are districts and I think you're aware of some where they don't have a class that says ethnic studies, but it, it's integrated uh, within um, current classes. Yeah. Right. Like integration, you said, right? Yeah. So, so yes, that was the first thing that I wanted to see was like, okay, as an admin, what are my choices, especially mm -hmm. with the master schedule? Whoa, 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 whoa. Mm -hmm. And then of course, being Filipino American, I was like, I let me see. Well, what we got with Filipino American topics, and then um, of course, I wanted to see what was up with um, with Palestinian mm -hmm. um, American units or just Palestinian units. And um, this is what I came across. Once again. Teachers are not limited to this, but these are what is approved. So anything that you do outside of this, you may you may need to seek approval. Mm -hmm. But these are the approved lessons, right? These are the sample lessons. So if you look at lesson 14, they have Asian Americans and the model minority myth. Okay. Samples, uh, lesson 17, uh, Little Manila, Filipino laborers, and the United Farm Workers. I was really excited to see that. Yeah. Um, I saw nothing in regards to Palestinian uh, or Palestinian Americans, mm -hmm. but I did find lesson 30, 31, which is about Jewish Middle Eastern Americans. And to be quite honest with you, I 
that threw me off. I've never seen Jewish. I've, I've seen Jewish Americans and Middle Eastern Americans. I've never seen the label Jewish Middle Eastern Americans. Mm -hmm. um, but Lesson 3031 is about the different types of Jewish Middle Eastern Americans, anti-Semitism and intersectionality. And they talk about intersectionality because Jewish is a race and religion mm. and so um so yeah so there's that piece and then i also noticed that they had lesson 32 which is an introduction to arab american studies mm -hmm. that's a lot um yeah that's a lot without my commentary well <laughs> and I kind of want us to get into commentary about like examples and and expand like situations that we've heard of recently and like what we could anticipate moving forward because again like we need to start these courses next year but like have it be a requirement like there's a process we all know like depending on your district you have to have certain you know you have to have it presented to the board by a certain time and then you know, you have to allow for public comment and all these different things. And so um, I'm not going to necessarily go into like what each unit lesson plan should be founded on or like what should it be included. But I do want to point out that in like in that chapter, um, thank you, Christina, for providing some cliff notes. But, yeah, because it was long, y'all. It's it, a long document. And I don't think anyone, I don't think very many people will read it. And so I think that's important for us. Like, thank you for doing that. And I think, you know, we could even just dive into that, that like 600 page um, document, although that probably wouldn't be as interesting as kind of how we're making this connection, but something that, that, you know, from what you've provided, even like the bullet point on it should challenge racist, bigoted, discriminatory, and imperialist colonial beliefs and practices on multiple levels, um, meaning that each unit lesson plan should be founded on guiding principles and principles of ethnic studies as described as, and that's one of the examples. And so I think that in, that bullet point is also going to you know, bring up some feelings around just the example you're going to share next, Christina, and then also just some of the experiences that we've had with this. Um, and I think some of the things that I'm like kind of nervous about, to be quite honest, moving forward. So I want to share that. Yeah. Um, so I want to say about a month ago, one of my co teacher coaches, she uh, graduated from San Francisco State um, history major. And so she was um, very fortunate to have really cool professors that um, um, that I cited in whether it was my master's or in my doctorate. And, and one of them was um, a Filipina professor. Her name is Dr. Allison Titiniago Cobales. Okay. And um, She's a ethnic studies professor at SF State. She, um, my, basically my teacher coachy, she was like, hey, like, um, read this. You may want to sign this petition. So basically 
once again, going down this rabbit hole, um, I, I, once again, <laughs> I, I, I came across the petition that I, that I signed, um, that was in support of reinstating Dr. Allison Titiniago Cubales, a Filipino American ethnic studies professor at, at San Francisco State. Um, just more information about her. She's the co-founder of the uh, community responsive education consulting firm. And she was hired by Parajo uh, School District to develop and implement a comprehensive ethnic studies program. So that would include um, a specific framework, um, choosing specific units of study and um, principal, uh, administrative and teacher development. And so I really wanted to play clips for you guys, but that would take a long time, but we'll put the um, YouTube board meeting um oh, in our okay. show notes mm -hmm. but um so here's the thing um and i'm i'm reading this straight from uh, the, the petition okay so um basically her firm has been working for um has been contracted by parajo is that the way that you're supposed to pronounce it i really don't know i mean technically it's pajaro but i think they i don't know how they pronounce it okay well um they cre which is the consulting firm um they've been hired for the past two years mm -hmm. and so um it was just this past summer this past september 13th um it was up for renewal so basically okay here, here, here's the description. During the September 13th board meeting, item 9.10, the Ethnic Studies District leader, Claudia Monajares, presented PVUSD's history of ethnic studies, including the partnership with the CRE since the fall of 2021. Um, the PVUSD's ethnic studies framework that was presented was co-created with CRE. She presented a proposal to renew CRE's contract. So after um, the district leader's um, presentation, it was open, uh, the microphone was open to the public. So following the presentation, there were two public comments by Roz Shorenstein and Gil Steen, um, who are Jewish Americans, who both falsely, um, both falsely, who accused Dr. Tintiniago Cabales of bias and bigotry. Shorenstein stated that um, Professor um, objected to stopping hate as a goal of education and was a, quote, consultant who created and rejected policy for bigotry, end quote. Both commentators made an inaccurate made a claim that state offers this for free, oh. uh, referring to professional development for ethnic studies. Mm -hmm. No evidence was presented to substantiate the defamatory accusations by Shorenstein and Stein. Despite these dangerous claims, the board did not ask for evidence or attempt to correct the record. So basically, they decided to not renew um, a, a CRE's contract. Um, 
can I just say this? Like, so when Shorenstein and Gilstein, um, when they presented or when they said their accusations against the professor, um, they, they used a lot of general statements mm -hmm. and they, they talked about this letter, um, that the professor refused to put her name on. And they also brought up to about like the governor and how like this organization tends to be at odds with the governor. But then that was it. Like they did not present like, okay, like here's a statement or here's an example of her being a bigot or like, here is the letter. Like, this is what the letter was about. Cause I'm like thinking in my head, okay, well, what's this letter? Like, what's this letter about? Mm -hmm. um, but they didn't even like cite the letter or give like a brief summary of the letter. It was just so like ambiguous. And what was so irritating was that there were a few board members, like you would think as board members that they would question these um, accusations, that they would ask for evidence, but they did not. One of them, who looks like he's a person of color. I don't know. Okay. I, I am making assumptions here, but mm -hmm. instead of asking clarifying questions, he just asked, he was concerned about the price. He was talking about the price and like, because oh, us consultants, man, we charge way too much money. Right. I mean, like he was like 110,000. It's like, yo, which, which, you know, they've signed off on contracts that large before. I mean, listen to these things. Okay. Yes. A hundred, 110,000 for someone that does leadership development for all secondary principles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like to help them, to mm -hmm. help them, the site level administrators mm -hmm. implement the ethnic studies program at their school sites. They get te teacher development, focus on, on the development of um, ethnic studies, specifically for language arts, English language arts. Mm -hmm. And then here, um, to, to provide professional development, whether it's asynchronous or synchronous for teachers and students, like that's $110,000. Mm -hmm. if, if you were to ask me, I feel like they should have charged more. More. I, I, yo. Mm -hmm. Well, and so what I want to like, say here oh, is that like, as I'm, as I'm, um, as I'm seeing this and I'm, I'm hearing you and I also saw the petition circulating, um, Instagram, um, I happen to have like attended different professional developments with, um, doc Dr. Daniago Cubales before. Hey, yeah. Like Good back in the you. day. Um, and so I could see, and I think, so there are two separate issues here. One, the board, like the public comments were directed at whether or not the contract should be renewed to work with this consultant. But 
what sparked this issue was that this consultant was working with the district and not just the district. I want to point out that they have an ethnic studies department, an ethnic studies team, um, and that they weren't just trying to meet the minimum requirements of AB, what did I say, 110, 101, I think it's 110, um, to offer ethnic study, an ethnic studies course. Like they are building this out as an ethnic studies program and they, they want to offer it throughout ninth through 12th grade. Right. It's not just a one-off class. Correct. So this then does require more investment. It requires a team. It requires time. It requires, you know, professional development. Um, but I want to also kind of back up and say like this wasn't even going to be an issue, except I believe that she was trying to really um, center the stories of like those that have been colonized and oppressed, including Palestinians. And I think that's where a lot of these issues started to surface and why people felt more compelled to make public comments and to, you know, basically like start a campaign against her um, and villainize her because she wanted to center the genocide and like what, what, you know, not just what's currently happening, but what happened before. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I was hearing and seeing from what people were sharing. Yeah. And they were just saying like, because she wants to bring up other aspects, mm -hmm. it's actually create, it, it, it could create like conflict and divide. There mm -hmm. was even a board member who was just like, my because she has a son she has a son in the district and she was like my son is not really filling school especially with the whole like um you know with covid and all that the shutdown of school and she was like but when i asked my son about the class oh my gosh like he was like she was like he's a white boy and like he was just super hyped about the class and like he was sharing about the books that they're reading. Um, but then, so at first I was like, okay, cool. Like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this white lady is an ally. And then she was like, but <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I could also seeing it like being used to divide others. Well, and so. <laughs> Y'all just need to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, listen to the whole thing. But this is the thing, though. And so I think that, like, we could we could focus all on that. But I want us to bring up other examples and connections because, y'all, especially if you're an educator in California and if you're a school leader in California um, who works at the secondary level or who's in a unified school district, a high school district, um, this is happening right now. If it's like not already happening, these discussions in your district, they're about to happen. Um, and every district is going to approach this differently within their, you know, bylaws and, and regulations and, and committees and processes, right? And so I, you know, will focus on one um, district that I, I read about um, down in Southern California, I think closer to San Diego, that was interesting to me. And now I'm like kind of looking to see like what are other districts doing? Um, and then I'll bring it back to like what 
districts around my area are doing. Um, but this district formed a committee and has spent the last six months mm -hmm. like reviewing ed code, right? <laughs> to make sure that they quite like they understand exactly what the ed code is asking of schools and then going through, um, you know, the course the different, like what Christina did to those pages to de develop something that would meet those ethnic study standards. Um, but what's interesting is that they did include teachers, administrators, and community members and parents. I don't know if those community members included students. And so that's why like I keep thinking and picking up on is like the son enjoyed the class, but the parents like, oh, but I can see how it divides them. But the students actually want to learn this. I feel like even today, um, you know, hearing to hearing some of the participants in this PD that I was in, that students want more on cultural awareness. Student want students want to learn about this, and so as we're designing these ethnic studies courses, I think first question is like, who is in charge of creating these courses, and is the student voice included in these decisions? Um, oh, can I just say something to that? Yeah, like what you're just saying like that there were some parts where my blood was like boiling because they had you know how they have like a student representative mm -hmm. on the board the young the student was actually sharing her experience about ethnic studies and she's a senior she was like, oh, I've already taken a course, but I, I, I wanted to take another course. Like, and she's like, I love it. And she's like, I love the different perspectives. Um, I just, you know, just hearing like things that I just would not learn in, in other classes. And it, mm -hmm. she's like, it just opened up my, my, my mind. Yeah, right? so I There's that. And then also, yo, the, the woman, the the district representative, what 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 was her name? She wanted the she wanted that she's the one who's working with the CRE group, and like one of the board members even asked her straight up was just mm -hmm. like do you do you trust the CRE group? And she's like, yes, or else if I didn't, I wouldn't be presenting here today asking you to renew it. Yeah. And it was like despite what the student said, despite what the district person said, who is a district educator, it didn't matter. Mm -mm. Well, and that's what I mean. I think like this is what I'm anticipating is that depending on your district and the level of involvement and the groups that you're catering to, um, you're going to have people like show up at the board meetings um, for public comment and we've seen this with like you know what do they call the moms uh, I don't even know now right now because I try not to focus on them um moms of liberty or whatever like um the how the right wing has like been really active on trying to put their own members on school boards yes for these reasons and so that's what I'm, I'm like this is going to be something that we need to pay attention to um, and prepare for. And this district, you know, happened to contract out. Not all districts are going to do that. So I feel like it wasn't 
the professor. It was what she was representing. But that district has already been putting together ethnic studies teams and these courses that span from ninth to twelfth grade. And so even this district that I'm that I was, you know, using as, as an example, they've decided not to label it an ethnic studies course and instead embed it in their English course at the 10th grade level, because they were saying that their ninth graders, their their schedule's too packed already. And that it wouldn't work out for that district. And so, and I'm like playing all these different scenarios because I worked at a high school in, um, you know, in a, in a pretty affluent area um, that, I don't know, that there was a lot of issues around race, um, race and equity and all, all the different initiatives that we were trying to push in that district. And I did have a parent um, want to opt out their ninth grader from the ethnic studies course. And that started a whole conversation. Obviously at that time I was not an administrator. Um, and so I had to like, you know, bring my administrator in and she was like, I don't know what to do with this. This is like, it's a new course. Um, this, I, no one anticipated that even being a request, but this mom was very clear that she did not want her child her white child to learn about racism, um, oppression, um, and the, I won't say everything that she shared, but just so she did not believe in, in, in the different state of events in our country. Um, and so these are just the things that I start thinking about that as school leaders, we need to think about our, we're contracting now, how are we going to create support around that consulting agency, around that expert to like, you know, put that out there where her contract isn't going to be up for question because we have parents upset that their their side isn't being represented the way they want to, but isn't necessarily history or accurate facts, right? How are we at schools going to create, like, go through scenarios where parents are going to want to opt out of kid from ethnic studies because they don't believe in it because they don't want their kids thinking about that. Do not indoctrinate my, my child, mm -hmm. but it's a graduation requirement. And that's what I had to keep reminding the parent. And ultimately I was told to move the student that they would address it before she graduated. And so I'm like, well, we just like, Okay, so we're basically saying it's okay for parents to uh, opt out their student. Um, and then, you know, like, are there going to be committees or is it going to fall on the district, um, like, curriculum team that for social studies? Because that's kind of where it's been housed in my district. So, like, I think really the point here is that we have a call to action for our listeners, especially if in your California is to like ask yourself and especially if you're at the high school level, um, but to, to find out what's happening in your district around ethnic studies. You know, some of our schools are already piloting these courses and we have not received pushback. And so, but there are going to be districts that do. You know, will you be at the board meetings? Will you be a part of the committees? 
Will you be hiring consultants? How are these consultants being, you know, protected or supported from your community? Because again, those are your community members. Those are your constituents. Um, and I think even before we got on this, this um, recording, Christina, just how political this all is. And how, again, like, this was something that was instituted instituted at the at the at the you know state level, um, but depending on how that seat turns, could go away. And how like, you know, we see that politics like to erase history or um, pretend as if things don't happen or name things differently, which is why I think we're seeing, you know it highlighted around like Palestinians not being represented in the curriculum, um, whether or not we call this a genocide, how we talk about it, if it's going to be included, um, and also how so many districts have the out that the course really only has to um, center their populations. So that's another way where some districts are going to be able to get away with not presenting certain cultures because we don't have a large percentage of those students at our school or in our district. Um, and that also concerns me if there's going to be some more conservative districts in our state, say like, well, we only have to center these voices because that's representing our population. So I, I think that we have a responsibility to understand the law understand how it needs to be implemented and understand how it's unraveling in our district. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, now I, I'm just kind of curious cause I know, you know, I was just looking up Oakland unified and I, now it's like, I mean, there's like a whole webpage on it mm -hmm. um, tab. Um, but of course I'm going to do some more digging because I don't know if it's the history department that's housing it or is it the um office of equity that's housing it because i'm seeing both names there but then i'm also questioning like well who's on the office of equity like are they teachers um right um so you know i i felt really bad for this director <laughs> um going back to the pajaro school district um so they, you know, the board, they decided to not renew um, CRE's contract. And so they were just like, Claudia Manahara, she was like, well, whoever you guys get, like, I'm just, please, I just want to ask, like, can you just make sure that these consultants have an ethnic studies degree? Like, not a history major, not a history, not social science PhD, an ethnic studies PhD. And um, one of the uh, board members, this white lady, she was like, well, I just Googled it right now. And there's a whole ton of California, um, California uh, educator consultants. And like, Claudia was like, yeah, but um, she's like, you know, the ethnic studies community, like they're really, um, they're small. So just to let you know, they're all kind of like interconnected. And then I don't know who said something, but they're just like, oh, well, 
um, we'll vet them more. Like we'll, we'll make sure that there is no connection to Professor uh, Titiniago Cobales. Um, I'm like, why are they placing like a, a scarlet, Christina, it's a a scarlet letter on this per, this Filipina yeah. brown professor? Who's like, who is like, I mean, foundational in ethnic studies. You know, yeah, like, period. So not just in California. You're gonna have a hard time finding States. people that aren't connected to her in some way or have cited her in research. Like, yeah, I mean, again, we have to also question like who is on the school board, right? And how much do they actually understand what it is that we're trying to do for our students? Um, and so again, politics. And so I, I feel like you know, I just really want, I mean, we could talk about this for days. I would love to talk some more, you know, let's start a campaign to get Dr. Titaniago Cubales onto our podcast to talk. Hey, I can dream big, right. To like talk about the show, you know what I'm saying? Like to talk about ethnic studies, <laughs> but like, I really do think that at our level, like within the schools, within um, our districts is really becoming involved in these board meetings um, and and doing the research. You know, where is ethnic studies going to be housed? And how does that shape? You know, because yeah, in social studies, it's gonna shape it significantly. Um, we are not working with consultants. We haven't even thought about bringing in anyone within ethnic studies to, um, to support this initiative. So, um, our call to action is to become involved, to even do some Googling, ask some questions, you know, who is on your committee? How is this course being rolled out? When is it going to be showing up for approval and anticipating what your community response could be? And the last thing I'll say is ask yourself, are students involved and how is their voice being represented, represented in these decisions and in these conversations and to invite them to really show up if your board is um, not as friendly to these types of conversations. So that's where we'll leave it. Does that feel all right? Yes. And there's just so many other things that I want to say. Um, there's just so many things. I, I, I It was like, it just, <laughs> so many things that just came up. And so before we make this hours long, I will say we'll need to revisit it and think about like, because this is going to keep coming up. I do not, I don't doubt that we're going to have this come up in the news throughout this year as these courses need to be presented to the board and implemented throughout the state of California. And as we get into, as we're in an election year, this can oh, definitely God. be something that That's becomes the hot topic for those that want to have a platform so more to come more to come have a good one y'all all right y'all bye We hope you enjoy this conversation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Alina Christina. Check out our content and engage in a conversation with us through the comments or DMs. Also, 
please help us grow and share this with your friends, colleagues, as well as post on your social media. We look forward to next time. Take it easy.